from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 352, Practical IPv6 with guest Ed Horley, recorded Thursday, January 2nd, 2014. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you very much for listening. This is Richard Campbell. You're listening to Run As Radio. Uh, it's the new year for me. Those New Year shows were shot before the new year, but here we are. We're doing the thing. And I got Ed Horley on the line. Ed is the principal solutions architect at Groupware Technology in San Francisco Bay Area, and he's actively involved in IPv6, serving as the co-chair for the California IPv6 Task Force, and additionally helping with the North American IPv6 Task Force. And uh, and now a book author on top of everything else. This is this the first one, sir? It is the first one. Practical IPv6 for Windows administrators. There's a sexy title, huh? Well, you hit the important part, I think. The practical IPv6 is, because uh, this is, I think, what people struggle with is, uh, all right, what can I actually do today? Because half the time I feel like this is entirely the responsibility of the ISP, and half the time it's maybe I should be doing something other than just turning off the stack. Yeah, I think it's an interesting problem. I mean, one of my goals out of writing the book was uh, after speaking at, at many conferences and, and doing many user groups and people always walking up and saying uh, pretty much the same questions over and over again about, well, what do I need to do on my OS and right. what practical things do I need to do on the deployment side? And I was like, I was answering the same stuff over and over. And I'm like, and I was I was lamenting to some of my colleagues about the fact that I was doing this. And they're like, well, just write a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take and your like, words, put them in a form where people can have them without you needing to be there. Exactly. And then they were like, and then your answer is really simple. I go, what? He says, buy my book. <laughs> <laughs> I go, that's brilliant. Uh, and, then, and then I got sucked into this whole thing. Like, writing a book should be easy. And, and, and uh, lo and behold, it's, uh, my wife is, is, was spent many an evening giggling at me. Yeah. Um, as as I went through this process, as I'm sure you've you know you've been through this. So. I, yeah, I've done exactly two back in the VB five six era, uh, and that was enough. That taught me what it takes. <laughs> you know, because if you keep writing books, dude, you're not learning. Like that's it's a it's well, a horrific process. It's very very difficult. But it, you know, it's something we should all do once. But after that, yes. that's enough. Yeah, I, 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 this was a, a new experience for me altogether. And then in addition to that, I, I wrote it in five months, um, which is, you know. <laughs> well, still running Pacific IT pros and, you know, right, doing having my a job, day job. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was, it was was a bit of a challenge on that. But I, I was very excited. I mean, I, I, I was happy to hear you guys had Stephen Rose on for, for, for uh, the kickoff for the new year because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Stephen wrote the forward for my book. Oh, that's and, great. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, so I, I own a copy of your book. It is on my Kindle. I have not read it yet. Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> it's uh, my goal, and I say this actually in the in the uh, in the introduction was my goal with a book is that it's one of those books that's sort of the broken spine sitting on your desk with coffee rings and pizza stains because you're actually using it. It's right. not one of these ones you read for knowledge and sit on the shelf and say, "Look what I read." Um, <laughs> I feel so smart. Right. I mean, it's, and, and I have those books and I, and you know, it's, you know, my laborious, you know, I made it through 650 pages of this technical material. 
the you know it's 264 pages it's really designed as you know i got what i needed out of this i go hand it to my buddy down down the next cubicle who needs to figure out how to get something else working right um and 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 i'm hoping it's got post-it notes and scribbled notes all over it it's not designed to be the pretty book that you have it's designed to be the one that gets abused that actually sits on your desk and it does seem to be a windows focus on it because you do talk specifically about exchange and iis and sharepoint yeah yeah so the goal really was about how microsoft implemented ipv6 and how it's and 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 why they chose to do some of the things they do i cover a little bit of history i don't try and go in depth i'm really trying to give people what they can do with v6 today not what they could do with it 10 or 20 years ago, which seems to be the prevalence of of what's out there. Because didn't we see IPv6? I mean, that's the Vista era, right? 2006? Is that really where Microsoft got serious about it? Yeah, and that's actually that, that's actually how I originally got involved with it. I mean, back way back in 2005, I was basically asked to sit down as an MVP to sit down and start giving them feedback about what was going on with V6 and their development portion on the stack. And and so I was doing, you know, I was downloading CPTs every day and testing and saying, you guys change this, this behavior looks off, you know, and I was actually doing testing. And, and uh, that was a big change because of how they re- had redone the networking stack. And I'm yeah. like, man, people people are just not going to understand the impact of what this is going to do. And I still don't think they do. I don't think any, Microsoft never really talked about the fact that they rewrote their whole network stack. Because, uh, you know, I come from this from a performance perspective. And what I realized in 2008 was we took a huge performance hit on the network stack level. Like it was a, a 20% slower. Like it was non-trivial impact. It was a much cleaner implementation. It had some funny configuration issues, but... Boy, oh boy, it was it was a nasty shock for for us in the performance world. Well, and what's interesting about it? So it was a it's sort of a um, how do I say this? It was a, it was a, a blessing and a curse at the same moment mm-hmm. because the the network improvements were substantial. The operating system improvements in terms of the interaction with the networking stack, I think, suffered a bit in two thousand eight, and yeah. I think that those portions as they got fixed. I mean, let's face it, when, you know, XP in, in 2003, you couldn't push more than, what, 350 megabits per second yeah. through a network interface. It was just, it, you know, it didn't matter what you did. No. It didn't matter how many interfaces you put in there. There were some actual threading problems in terms of getting things in and out of the networking stack. And they had, they had you know, arguably they'd gone the other, they'd gone too far the other way. They were so concerned about how they tweaked and tuned things that they'd made this kind of Frankenstein stack. It was very, very fast, but it was a freak. Yeah, and 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 the the reality is, is is when and I think really the innovation happened with with Windows Seven and 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 really the update for two thousand eight uh, with R two of the networking stack being you know finally acceptable performance wise across yeah. the board and then having all the feature enhancements that you want um, you know so the you know the some of the compound TCP window behavior, things of that nature that really sort of improved uh, the end-to-end user experience, especially Windows to Windows, which is, you know, not a, not as many people spend as much time, except for your, if you're in the SQL world or if you're in the, you know, some of the other high-performance, you know, IIS world, which I know you play around in. Mm-hmm. That stuff actually makes a huge difference in terms of offload, uh, in terms of backup and recovery, how long your maintenance windows are. Yes. Um, that's the stuff that people were like screaming for yeah and and it was a huge change for hyper-v yeah well it, one would argue the only reason we're able to do in virtualization the this whole uh uh software-defined networking concept that we're now enjoying in 2012 is because of the work done in 2006 to uh 
free the network stack. Yes, yeah. And the same folks, you know, I mean, Dave Thaler and the rest of his team, along with, you know, all the new folks that got brought in for Hyper-V, that, that's really where where that came from. I mean, Dave Thaler was really sort of the initial kick to, to make all that happen. Mm-hmm. So big hats off to him. I mean, he's, you know, he's very active in, in the ITF writing writing specs for IPv6 and, and uh, you know, sort of a unknown, uh, unless you're been around Microsoft for a long time because Dave's been there for, for ages. But most folks, when they think IPv6, they think Chris Palmer, who's the program manager and, and an awesome guy. But, you know, Dave was really sort of the old school uh, kicking things off outside of a few of the researchers at Microsoft who, who did the initial work uh, on the uh, IPv6 stack that eventually ended up being the 2006 stack that got rewritten. Yeah, funny how that chain works. And actually, if I go uh, just showing off how flipping old I am, I mean, uh, the stack that 2003 R2 ran was really the first version that Microsoft had built that was IP centric. Because before that, IP was sort of off on the side beside NetBuoy. Yep. So in some yeah. ways, this stack, the one we're running right now, is version three. Yeah. It, it, well, and it's really the first one that is true IP end to end. Yeah. Right. It doesn't have any vestiges of, of older. Net-man. Yeah. There's no jeez. <laughs> oh, I give myself <laughs> chills when I see stuff like that. But it, but it really is. It's it's it, and and um there's a huge amount of stuff that they they've done in the networking stack that was that was really pretty pretty revolutionary yeah. in terms of, you know, um I, I always giggle when people tell me they can turn the IPv6 stuff off in the networking stack and right. I'm like, okay, okay. Well, you know, you can you can go and you can do all the registry settings that you can go up on the technet article and read all the registry settings and change them all but assume moment you type ping colon colon one still replies back (laughs) 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 you know it's it's just you know it's it's good to know that you can do all the registry settings that turns it off to the external world but the operating system still requires it um and and uh it's it's you know it's a long it's it's sort of an unknown fact to a lot of people but in in 2008 microsoft stopped testing v4 only configurations right and uh, and that's sort of an interesting fact for a lot of people too that they just don't realize that but Microsoft is committed. IPv6 is core to the OS. You really yeah. should stop turning it off. Or, yeah, stop or, turning it off. In fact, uh, if you call on a support ticket and you did all that work to turn v6 off, usually one of the first things they ask you to do is say, "Can you turn v6 back on?" Right. <laughs> so you're just breaking things. Yeah, you're just breaking things. So it's 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 uh, it's a big change for a lot of folks. I mean, one of the reasons I wrote the book, at least for myself, was was sitting down and talking to people, and they're like, "Well, you know, well, why should I have this stuff on? What what can I do to actually manage this stuff? Sure. How do I handle deployment? Um, what do we, you know, can I run v6 and v4 at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. You know, in fact, that's how it runs and was designed to run all along was that we knew we had to have this transition period, and I th- I really think that. Given everything that's happening in the industry, everything that's happening with software-defined networking, with network function virtualization capabilities that Microsoft is doing within their, you know, cloud OS platform, you know, V6 is just is not just along for the ride. It's going to become one of those sort of key critical things that you really need to know. If you don't know it um, in two to three years, you're just not going to be relevant in the job market anymore. Um, And I think that's the same way that holds true in in many ways to understanding other functions of of what Microsoft is providing as a as an OS platform, I I, I you know I feel the same way about PowerShell. You know, you don't understand PowerShell, you're just not going to have a job. Yeah, right. So <laughs> it a, is coming critical to the whole process. But I mean, so right. much of IPv6, like most networking, seems automatic. There's a lot to do. I mean, is there a lot to do? 
There is a lot to do. I, I think it's. I think what people misstep about V6 is they think it's a, a networking team problem. V6, uh, you know, it's, I, it's a networking protocol. It's a networking team's problem. It's right. not my problem. And I'll deal with it when the networking team comes to me. But the reality is, is that when you look at V6 from a protocol sort of end-to-end, um, from a stack perspective, there, you know, if you're an application developer and you don't know how to handle a V6 address as it comes to you and you actually need to store this information for security reasons or policy reasons or enforcement reasons or whatever, and you only got a field that handles those IPv4 addresses, guess what? You've got a problem. Right. <laughs> right? It's now your problem. It's not the network team's problem, right? So there's there's a team approach of, of sort of top to bottom for the stack of really going in, especially when I go in and help customers. It's sort of like, yeah, it's not just the network team I need to meet with. We need to meet with a lot of other people. We need to meet with the help desk people so they understand, you know, when is V6 actually used versus V4? Do you actually know how to debug it? I mean, you have all these basic standard tools as a help desk admin, right? That yes. You run around and you go and help people and you know how to troubleshoot. And the first tool you usually use when you're on the network is ping and, yep. you know, maybe dig or NS lookup and trace route. Yeah. And if uh, anywhere you might type an IP address, you're fooling yourself now. Oh, or a name resolution address. So you don't know if it's using V4 or V6, right? Until you actually take a look and say, what, you know, what actually hopped up? What did it talk? Did it talk V6 or did it talk V4? Right. And do I understand? And then and then you have things like actual engineered and designed solutions like, uh, you know, direct access using Isotap. Well, Isotap doesn't have any agent that sits on the, on the client machine. So if you don't know how to actually determine whether that host is doing Isotap or not, you have no clue whether it's doing V4 or V6. Right. And, and, and those are challenges that a lot of shops... Um, really need to understand about what they have deployed in their environment. And that's what the book was sort of designed to address. It's like, well, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to either explicitly turn on or off your transition solutions, uh, any of the transition technologies in the networking stack. And, you, and these are things you can use group policy for. You know, there's another great case for you know, enterprise-wide management using group policy to get things done the way you want them done on your platforms. And, and uh, if you don't take the time and energy to do that, well, you're basically just not managing something that really should be under your domain of management control. And that's the argument. So what's sort of the first step that most folks need to take? Is it really about getting name resolution for IPv6 working? Well, that's one of them. I think addressing and network planning, right? You got to do planning first. And so you have to have an understanding about what, you know, do I turn VXS on? Am I going to explicitly use it? If I decide that, yes, I'm going to do that, you, you need to get an addressing plan just like with V4. Right. You need to have some sort of plan put in place. You need to understand how that's going to impact you. You need to be able to make sure that your network equipment can support it. If it can't support it, you have to tunnel around it, right? Which is a whole different discussion. We now are introducing tunneling across my, you know, corporate enterprise network. And is that what I want to do? Is that how I want to solve this problem? Or well, do I, I want to? I think you bring up a powerful issue, which is how much of your networking gear is not IPv6 ready. Yeah, and that's and that you know I I think if you're if you're relatively uh, current last three years or so of networking equipment, you're probably not going to have any issues. Um, you might have to pay for an additional license depending on what your hardware manufacturer did. Right. Uh, so th- those are the issues that you have to address there. If you have really old equipment, you're tunneling to get across. And that, when you that say really old equipment, you mean more than three years ago? Because, dude, networking gear is one of those things that just sits around and you keep using it. Yeah, I, pr- I probably would say more than five five years. Um, and if you're doing code updates, the great thing about networking gear is that often code updates help fix a lot. The problem is right. the ASICs, right? Burned in ASICs, five years or older, just don't do V6 natively. 
right? So that means that V6 gets punted to software, which means it gets punted to the CPU, which means you take a huge performance hit on forwarding packets for V6. And that's not what you want because the reality is, is that if you decide to utilize V6 and you turn this on across your enterprise network, your your host OS machines are going to prefer V6. That's if you actually, there's an RFC that's written about this. It's RFC 6724 <laughs> that actually talks about, you know, the default address selection for internet protocol. Right. And, and whether you use V6 or V4 and your source address and your destination address and, and how you actually determine all this, V6 is preferred if it's actually operationally working. And that means that you will shift all your workload from V4 to V6. If you're not monitoring for V6, guess what? You know, you're you, no longer you watch, seeing the bulk of your traffic. Right. Yeah. Your counter went from 90% threshold and now it's down at like 2%. Right. And you're like, what happened to all my traffic? Well, <laughs> you, you're just not reading any of the, you know, the V6 layer three interfaces. So you're not seeing any of it. Well, and it's to our advantage to have our clients and our servers inside of our network talking V6 to each other. Yeah. I think, I think it's, you know, I'm sort of, um, it, this is going to sound funny coming from, you know, someone who's on the V6 task force and everything else. Uh, I'm sort of impartial. I mean, uh, um, whether you want to run your traffic over V4 or V6 doesn't really matter uh, in, in terms of internal traffic and workload because that's your network. It's on the inside. Um, I'm a proponent for V6. I think it's where things are going, and I think that's how we're going to build scalable networks. But the reality is if you're a mom-and-pop home network and V4 is working for you, that's fine. I think what's going to happen over the long term is that you're going to need to access V6 resources and that's the transition point that everyone's going to be like, okay, we need to get V6 operationally working. For enterprises, they should already be there. For if you're a, you know, if you're a small regional, you know, you know, you're just running a small company and and everyone that you're dealing with is local within your community, you're you're probably not going to be a huge push for V6. Right. And, and and that's okay. I mean, we those of us that are in the V6 community, we we fly the flag as much as we can and say we you need to do adoption. Da 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 da. But the reality is, is that if you're willing to live with carrier grade NAT and you're willing to live with you know with uh, some of the limitations that are going to come down with V4, you could survive a long time. Does that mean that everything's going to stick around as V4 supported? Probably not. And the next question is, is are you going to lose capabilities to interact with people if you don't have V6? And I think sort of, you know, 2014, I think, is going to be the year where, you know, all the content providers have V6 enabled. All the major service providers are rolling out V6. Comcast has now now has the largest IPv6 deployment uh, in the world because of their um, their home access, you know, cable deployment of V6. You sort of have to ask yourself, at what point are you just you know, sticking on legacy to stick on legacy. Right. Um, you know, just to hang out there. Well, it'd really be something to have an an ISP come to you and say, hey, we're adding IPv6 on our side. You know, are you guys going to gateway IPv4 to us? Well, so here's <laughs> so here's the interesting part. Uh, Comcast is just turning it on for you. So if you have a DOCSIS 3 modem and you get the update and you get their newest, you get their newest service, mm-hmm. you're just getting V6 whether you realize that or not. Right. And, and, and so you actually have to check on your internal network and say, boom, oh, look, I'm getting a prefix automatically from Comcast, and all my devices got themselves a V6 address. And when I'm surfing and going out to Google or I'm going out to, you know, Xbox or, yeah, guess what? It's using V6 to actually get out there to, to connect. And, and uh, 
and for end users, they shouldn't know the difference, and they shouldn't have to worry about this. This is this is really a, a, a deployment issue for the service providers on that side. But on an enterprise network, where you are explicitly controlling your network, and you're explicitly controlling how your addressing plan works, and you're explicitly, you know, all those things, check, 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 you need to understand v6 because you're supposed to be running this network. Right. You're supposed to own this problem. Yeah. It's yours to own. <laughs> And and I think that's a big issue. I I the one the questions I get most commonly is it, and it's sort of funny is on the V4 to V6 is how do I run my V6 network exactly like I run my V4 network? And the answer is you don't. And then they sort of get wide eyes and say, well, how am I supposed to run my V6 network? And I said, well, you know, <laughs> you you need to sit down and really th- rethink what you do. I mean, do you want to do you want to do NAT everywhere? Like what you do with v4 today. Yeah, aren't, aren't we basically, in some ways, isn't going to IPv6 going to simplify our networking because we get rid of a lot of this complexity we created because of the lack of addresses? Yeah, so th- this is this is the first thing. Everyone with v4 is conserve addresses, conserve addresses. We have to think about every way. We're going to get this subnet down to the smallest size that we can possibly get to reduce the number of addresses we're assigning out. Yeah, that just jettison that thought in v6. Everything's a slash 64. You take the internet, you square it, and <laughs> you stick it in a subnet. <laughs> it's like so I mean, it's funny you can have the world's largest LAN party with one subnet in v6 yeah you could take the entire internet stick it on one LAN everybody plays everyone play everyone if we have enough you know candy bars and soda and enough ethernet ports we could theoretically do this right I mean it's, it's no way the, the ASICs can't support it you don't have enough memory I mean there's right. all sorts of issues that go on with just a single large layer two subnet for v6 but the reality is is, is that in terms from a address a pure addressing perspective yeah it's absolutely possible yeah, the, the address issue has gone away but I mean the other parts that really interest me is the thing like could we really start using multicast the way it was supposed to be ages yes. ago Yes, yes. This is so. Here's here's the exciting developments around v6 about you know the possibilities of multicast, and then we have the the reverse side of the the downside of of here we are is is what's the most ubiquitous thing that we're deploying now from a networking perspective? That's wireless, and wireless really just doesn't handle multicast very well, does it? No. And and so that's part of the challenge of how do we map v6 requirements for multicast into this you know really broadcast centric. Um, environment that wireless does, and how do we how do we manage that properly? And that's a that's you know there's some great guys who are working on that. Uh, Andrew Yanchenko from from Cisco and and a handful of other people that are really trying to solve some of these challenging multicast wireless issues um, that are that really are sort of the next generation of problem solving from a network perspective. I think for most enterprises, sort of DNS and DHCP are going to be the sort of scratch their head and go, how is this changing for me? Along with the NAT problem. And understanding what's different about NAT and V6 versus V4. Yeah. Let's just talk about two things for a sec when it comes to that. Why do I even care about DHCP with IPv6? And why would I ever NAT with IPv6? I thought everybody was going to have a routable address. Yeah. So, And if you ask me, my advocacy is that you'll have a routable address on everything, and, that, and that's the way you go. Right. And then you, then you run into this whole group. So we have uh, what's... What's called ULA addressing, and 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 uh, and ULA stands for it's your unique local addressing okay. for for V six, and and ULA is is an interesting process. It's basically for for ease of explanation, it's basically like RFC nineteen eighteen. It's not designed to be routable on the public internet. Um, it is designed to be unique. It comes from a very large prefix pool, mm-hmm. and um, and and the design behind that was well, I need some sort of addressing to be able to do, for instance, maybe labs or very secure networks. 
right? So ULA may have some use cases in things like, you know what, I want my power grid to run on ULA. Never routable on the, it's, it's not addressable to the public V6 network. Okay. Uh, and, and no one on the public V6 network can get to these ULA address blocks because they're supposed to be filtered at Internet Edge and no one's supposed to be routing them. Right. And, and, and in very secure networks, I can see a legitimate use case for ULA. So the door is legitimately closed. There is no door. There is no door. And so, and so here, here, here becomes the next question. It's like, well, great. Now that I have something that looks like RFC 1918, I can run that, right? <laughs> that's the next natural question. Why, 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 why would you do that? Well, because let, let's say you're in the situation where you're like, uh, you know what? I'm, 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 um, I think in V4, the V4 world, and I want to apply my V4 thinking in my V6 world. And right. I run RFC 1918 10.0 address space on my inside. I have multiple service providers. I have local internet hop off at all my offices. And I can route and domain control this, and I know this address space is never going to leak out, and I have different addresses that I want to translate to across my network. One address space in, in Europe, a different one in the U.S., a different one in South America. And how do I do that? I use NAT. Well, how do you solve this with global unicast addresses in, in V6? Well, you actually need to understand how to do routing like routing like a service provider does. Right. It. That's challenging for a lot of enterprise folks because they don't do that day to day. Right, they don't do routing from a pure routing perspective very often, right? Yeah, and 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 so they say, how do I? I want to just do what I do in V4 and V6, and they say, great, we're, we want NAT66. <laughs> so I'm going to take my ULA address space and transpose it into a new a new network space that does the same thing that my f- existing NAT address configuration V4 does, which is NAT44. And uh, and and I think this is just a horrible idea. Yeah. I think NAT66 is a horrible idea. There is a different sort of NAT. That's available in V6. It's called MPT V6. It's Network Prefix Translation V6. And I actually don't have as many problems with MPT V6. And what it does that's different than NAT66 is that MPT V6 is just changing the prefix portion. So in V4, uh, the comparison to V4 and V6, the prefix portion really is sort of your your routable carrier side addressable network component right it's the part that really doesn't change and then the lower 64 is actually a host specific component and so what an mptv6 device does is it only changes that first 64 or whatever defined prefix you are it could be a 48 you could do as large as as large as small of a prefix as you actually have allocated to you but it has to be a one-for-one match so you have a prefix that you're going to assign for this prefix translation that's a slash 64 you're going to have a slash 64 on the inside and when it traverses the boundary where this mptv6 process happens it just rewrites the prefix portion and so what's great about this is that it's stateless right Right. versus nat66 nat66 needs to keep track of every single aspect of its translation process that goes on which means if that device resets at all start over yeah everything's starting over everything's gone mptv6 doesn't suffer from this and it also allows you to set it up all over the place, and it doesn't matter what egress or ingress point you're doing, that translation's one-to-one, and it's just the prefix. Nice. Still still can break some applications, though, right? Because if you have application information that's embedded, that's using your V6 information to do something, like SIP does, you now have to do some sort of quote-unquote fix-up or some sort of application awareness change on that. It could still be relatively stateless. Uh, in some cases, completely stateless. But MPTV6, if you're going to choose NAT evil, <laughs> right? Yeah. MPTV6 makes more sense than NAT66. 
from that perspective. Yeah, but, but yeah, I still, I, have, I still I, like the idea of just everything being routable and using firewalls properly. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I agree with you. I've I've written I'm there's I've written some blog articles about you know ULA and some of the arguments back and forth the, and, and explaining the difference between NAT six six and MPTV six because mm-hmm. there, it's it's um this is a different world than than before and people don't understand that you have some of the some different capabilities and you have different tools in your in your tool belt to solve some of these. But isn't the only argument in favor of of NAT and MPT is I this perception that it's more secure. Um, yeah, so th- it's not the only argument. There are some very small, unique corner cases where MPTV6 solves some problems for carriers. And it has to do with how RFC 6724, which is that default address selection for Internet Protocol version 6, mm-hmm. how the hosts determine its source address to talk to a destination address. So you may have a use case where you are getting two global unicast addresses. Let's say you have a um, cable provider that's providing you a v6 slash 64 and in addition you have a maybe a voice provider who's doing a voice over ip service that's also providing you a slash 64 right okay how do you det- but your voice provider is only providing a voice sip service they're not providing you internet access so now how do you determine which address you source select to get out so you're going to have one that's advertising a default route to go outbound but there's also some rules in RFC 6724 that talk about longest prefix match. And let's say you happen to get, you want to surf to a website that happens to have a longest prefix match that's co-adjacent to your voice provider. Right. Suddenly you're going to start using that longer voice provider prefix to get out to try and talk to that website. And you don't have internet access through that. And yeah. guess what? You just lost access to that site location. MPTV6 solves this corner case because you can either send a route redirect or you can just have that router forward over to your existing cable modem because it knows its address also and forward that traffic over. It can do MPTV6, transform your address to one that's used on that, that cable modem provider, outbound it goes, comes back, transforms again, gets back to the host. Right. So there are some very small corner cases where MPTV6 makes sense. But once again, I'm talking about MPTV6 being used for global unicast and global unicast. Yeah. Not ULA. And, and, and you get back to the core issue here, which is what, that we want regular Windows administrators to start taking advantage of IPv6. And then hopefully our providers are, are giving us uh, IPv6 all the way across the network uh, and across the Internet. So. We don't need those corner cases for that. We're, we're right. really after just, you, you know, in some ways, simplify your networking. Get rid of all the subnetting. You don't need to do this anymore. Life is better. Yeah, life is better. I, I do think it's, I, I think one of the things that's a challenge for, for folks in both the networking and the system space with V6 is that in V4, the networking team got to make all the decisions about where traffic sourced and went to, right? You had a default gateway. You only knew how to get to that default gateway. You only had a single IPv4 address assigned to a host, typically. Um, and and those decisions aren't necessarily true anymore in the V6 world. Right. In the V6 world, you can have multiple addresses assigned to a device. Uh, it can ch- it, y- The network team doesn't get to choose which one of them it sources that traffic from. Right. That decision is actually made by the actual um, host operating system. And that's a... Um, that's a big change, hmm. uh, and and I don't think people really sort of realize that how big of a change that actually is. In it's terms one of those of, things where you get about to and say, "Why do you care?" Once the traffic well, gets there, it gets there, right? Yeah, and and 
and uh, and I agree with that. And for the most part, all your host operating systems are going to do the right thing. Right. The real question comes into um, when you're doing more sophisticated enterprise networks and you actually have uh, front and backside services for yeah. things like backup, you know, for offloading your backup and recovery, things of that nature, but, where you're right, running where you want to need to do traffic shaping so you don't over impact certain areas. But right. you know, we have tools for that. If you're doing them correctly, you, the, the, that traffic will never intersect. Right. And 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 that and that. And for those that are doing that sort of work in V4, this is no different in V6. Right. Your, your world does not change because you're doing more sophisticated stuff in V4. It's just it is different in V6, and mm-hmm. you need to understand how it impacts you in V6. And you also need to understand the interplay between the V6 and V4. Which one is it going to choose, you know, one versus the other? So it's just and, – and that's some of the things that I try and cover in the book is like, well, here's a flow chart that actually tells you <laughs> in the Windows OS – uh, if you're, if you, you know, are you on the older, older versions of the Windows OS, you're going to fall back to RFC, you know, 3484. If right. not, you're going to do 6724 and things like that. And a nice list of tools for us to actually watch the right things. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I have a whole, I have a whole chapter dedicated to PowerShell <laughs> 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 and I've got, I've got a whole chapter dedicated to firewalls and, yeah. and, uh, I have a whole chapter that's just sort of the miscellaneous stuff in the back. There's some new things that are, that are new in windows that, uh, that got leveraged, uh, new for, for windows in terms of maybe stuff that people aren't as familiar with, yeah. uh, uh, NCSI, which is the network connection status indicator. That's a great little thing that tells you when you're connected to the internet, when you're on your Wi-Fi and things like that. Um, is actually leveraged for v for v six awareness now, mm-hmm. and so there's tools you can use to 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 manage that. So yeah, good stuff. I mean, yeah. it, it's that's what I try and cover in the book to help people get up to speed and and be able to build their labs and test and play with it and and, and get more proficient with it. So available from APES directly, available on Amazon. Go get a copy. Barnes and Noble. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 out there. It's, I'm done. Thank goodness. And <laughs> <laughs> congratulations. Uh, yeah, I'm really I looking forward to spending it. some time with this book. Yeah, yeah, I, I I appreciate it. I hope I hope people find it uh, uh, something useful and 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 really exactly what the title says, practical. Awesome. And we'll uh, and thanks so much for coming on the show. No, thank you. And we'll talk to you next week on Run and Radio.